Hello and welcome to the Brain Care Podcast, a practical and impactful series of snappy episodes on how to optimize your mental health and performance so you can reach your full potential. My name is Dan Murray-Serta and I'm the co-founder at Heights. We make smart supplements and clever content with the world's leading experts to help you take care of your brain so it can take care of you. It's not often you get to hear from, let alone interview, a living legend, but that's what we've got for you today, with double Olympic gold medalist Dame Kelly Holmes, who's here to talk about success and the impact on your mental health. Obviously, an honor to have you on the show. We're here to talk about the downsides to success and the impact that it can have on your mindset and overall well-being. So for anyone that's not familiar, can you please set the stage for us so all of our listeners actually understand the level of success we're talking about here? Okay. Well, hello, everybody, and thanks for having me on. In a nutshell, I was an international athlete for 12 years, uh, won around 13 international medals at World Champs, Commonwealth Games, Europeans and Worlds, culminating in two Olympic gold medals in Athens 2004 in the 800 and the 1500 metres something I'd always wanted to do since I was 14. So finally achieved that dream. And uh, um, I probably on top of that, my other career was in the military for nearly 10 years as a physical training instructor in the British Army. Did you always want to be an elite performer? Yeah, definitely. Um, You know, a lot of us are inspired by the Olympic Games, of course. And uh, when I was 14, the Olympic Games took place. And I remember Sebastian Coe, who was one of the greatest middle distance runners we had in the uh, country if not in the world uh, with Steve Ovet and um, watching him win just gave me goosebumps I was already a, a, limp, a sort of a athlete then so you know when you watch something that you enjoy and you're inspired by it kind of ignited that flame and you know as a 14 year old it's just a fluffy cloud but it was certainly something that I believed I wanted to be Olympic champion. Do you think that that was that came from inspirations around you or like a natural desire from within? Yeah, I think a natural desire. I just had that in my mindset and I always wanted to show probably myself first and foremost and maybe other people that I could actually be something good because when you're at school and you're not that academic it's hard getting through school when you seem to be bottom of the pile all the time. But then as soon as you excel in something like I did in sport, suddenly it gives you that identity and that feel good factor. And I suppose sport gave me that. It's funny because I guess a lot of people that feel like they might be naturally academic in usual school activities will probably be remembering like I am, you know, being picked last in sports. So there's always something you're compromising. <laughs> When do you actually think that you became actively aware that your mental health was being compromised by your desire uh, with success? So basically, for those that don't know, if I start from there and come back, a year before the Olympic Games, I had first major breakdown, uh, became, as people know, self-harmer, got diagnosed with depression. Yeah, I was at the height of my career getting ready for world championships. When you are toying with depths of despair and also focusing on you know something that's meant to be so positive and has to be so kind of in tune with the body and the feelings of success it's that's the hardest battle to be honest because you're in one side feeling like you're going to give up on everything 
want to jump in the hole and close it and not see tomorrow. And on the other side, you're living for what makes you feel good, which is your success. And in my case was the thought of wanting to be Olympic champion. Was that a surprise to me? Absolutely. I was an ex-military soldier, you know, an international athlete as 33 years old. It's not something that you are thinking about or even at that stage, especially back in 2003, um, it's also not something that was spoken about. So, yeah, it was a real big shock. But equally, if I then reflect, elite sport is full of highs and lows, and that's what makes a champion. You know, you most champions don't just suddenly get there. You know, it's a, through hard graft and determination and a huge amount of resilience. But the lows are very low in sport when that's all your livelihood, your dreams, your ambitions, the lifestyle that you lead is all based on that one thing. In sport, it's very black and white, you win or lose. So the pressures that you put on yourself and then ultimately you're representing your country. So you have a big influx of kind of outside influences and pressures and what people think of you. And uh, yeah, I think that I started getting injured sort of towards the end of my army athletics career and one minute when you're at the height of your career you think you're just about to do something special and then you get a bad injury um, and then it's just gone out and you don't know if you're going to get back and then you claw yourself back and you everything emotionally physically psychologically claw yourself back to another really high level and then bam, injured again and you pull yourself back up and those highs and lows are mixed with some successes of still having it for belief just takes a toll and I think for me it took a big toll obviously. You've mentioned sort of self-harm and it's interesting it's not an experience one of our previous guests has spoken about and I think what's really helpful for people in the working in podcasts is we get the full range you know, so mental health is a spectrum from positive to negative. It's not just bad mental health. It's all forms of mental health. And when it's being compromised, there's different kinds of behaviors that manifest, right? From anxiety to bulimia to all sorts of things. When you say self-harm, what actual behaviors were you taking? Why were you taking them? And ultimately, what was the support network around you that got you to stop, so to speak? Well, I think it's important that people understand that self-harm comes in a multitude of ways and some may um, drink too much, harm their body in terms of disordered eating and whatever that may mean to that person. And I was cutting. You know, the time that I first did it was literally a pair of scissors on the side and started to cut myself for every day and being injured, which unfortunately had been a lot. So that was my, almost an outlet you know, when that situation, what I was in at the time, I was actually um, in a holding camp with uh, my coach and a, another, like, literally one of the best middle distance runners in the world who was my training partner for a year. You know, and when you don't know what's happening to you, you can't then tell other people. And, you know, when you're screaming inside because you don't want anyone outside to hear you, you're screaming, 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 but you can't actually let that scream out. Uh, for me, it was almost that was the release. That was the scream. And uh, it just became something that, you know, I was dealing with and was helping me, if I say it in that way, deal with that situation of not knowing who to talk to because I didn't have anyone. I didn't know who to talk to. I couldn't call my family who, you know, had seen me strive for success and, you know, I couldn't call them and say because they would, you know, being protective as a family would kind of say, oh, well, do you think you should be doing it? You know, why don't you give up? You've done so much, blah, blah, blah. I didn't want to hear that, you know. I couldn't 
say to my training partners and things I didn't want to put negative I felt that it would bring a real negative energy on other people's careers and so I just held it in myself you know and it was a hard time to deal with 2003 we didn't talk about mental health like we do now and so yeah it was hard I mean, what really fascinates me about your story is your experience with mental health issues were really culminating up until ultimately the greatest achievement that you'd worked towards in your life. It's almost unusual, you know, reading a lot, interviewing loads of people on mental health, um, where your story stands out so much to me is the time difference between your trough and your peak, essentially. You know, what you have to understand is that wasn't a one-off occasion that things hadn't been right. I might not have expressed it. I might not have had a breakdown because I wasn't expecting it. So I'd had to deal with kind of those highs and lows for many years before that. I got my first uh, major injury, a stress fracture, when I was 26, going into an Olympic Games. I was work- I was a full-time soldier using my leave to go and compete, you know, and I ended up having a stress fracture and being told I should go home or risk breaking my leg completely. So I took the risk because who was to say I was ever going to get to another Olympic Games? And, uh, you know, I ended up coming fourth in that Olympic game final, getting pipped on the line literally by a tenth of a second. That was running with a stress fracture. There's two sides for me, and, you know, I'm not a, a psychologist or... Um, anybody in that realm but I have experience and knowledge of how I feel and how I dealt with it and at the end of the day I think anything in life can make or break you and for me having such an impact on my professional life as in being kind of injured at the time but still succeeding almost gives you an ultimate power because you believe that well you must be so much better than just coming forth. If you can run against the world's best athletes and lose by a tenth of a second a medal and only not even a second to gold, yet you're running a stress factor, you must be brilliant. You know, and you what you have to understand is psychologically as an international athlete, we are wired to be so focused and driven and we believe we're going to be the best. So whilst there's a down, there's also a strength that pulls us through it. And then, you know, after that, what happened to me, instead of dwelling on the fact that I didn't get a medal, it really gave me an anchor to think, right, that is it. So the following year, after I came back from the stress fracture, you know, I had my normal time in plaster and crutches and then the rehab and everything, I came back and I was firing on all cylinders, both mentally and physically, because I just thought, I have to be one of the best in the world here. And that was just how I thought from that experience. So I go into a year which was a world championships again, ironically in Athens, and I came out I broke the British record. I was five seconds faster than anyone else in the world that year. And I got another niggle in my Achilles tendon. I went to the world championship, still believing I would be world champion. I mean, how could I fail? Five seconds faster than anyone else in the world. I have to be able to run that. I went into that race with this niggle. And after two laps, I had this big bang in my back of my calf and I completely ruptured my calf and tore my Achilles and I hobbled down the line and that was it, game over. And I was devastated at that time because I was told my career's likely to be over, you know, I hadn't become world champion, everything had gone from this highest, you know, thought in my head to the lowest of the low. 
But I got through it. And so what you have to understand is that you fire through on things and every year there's a major championships in sports. You've always got something to hang on to. So I just think because I didn't really take those highs and lows, you know, you go, I used to go to physio, all they do and all we talk about is that injury. Get me fit, get me ready. I need to get back. You know, I'm crying because of the pain, not because of how I'm feeling. No one asked me about it. I didn't talk about how I felt. And I think by the time I'd got to 33, just before world champs, I had coped with so much that it just just probably went because I had another little niggle and I thought, I can't, what is happening to me? I just thought I was cursed. I was thinking someone was stopping me trying to, you know, you have all these thoughts. So what people have to understand is that I had more power in my mindset to drive and succeed than I did to let all of those emotions end everything that I'd ever had. And But dealing with that bit... Having that bash was a real big blow, but I still had a dream. And as much as I can tell anybody, having something you can hold on to can be a life saviour as well. And for me, it was. What happened to your mental health after you achieved what you'd set your mind to? You've accomplished the single greatest goal you ever set yourself in your life. So what happens to a human being once they've achieved it? Oh, well, then you're all over the place. <laughs> your emotions are everywhere. Let's face it. You know, you're trying to come to terms with what you've done, you know, the enormity of what I've done. You know, I can sit there, I can sit here and say, you know, still three months after I was saying to my mum, can you pinch me? I felt like I must have been, you know, in this kind of really weird dream or world. You know, I'm saying, can you, I felt like I was going to wake up for months. I was never in sport to become famous, to get loads of game from it. I just wanted my goal medal. I just, you know, I wanted that medal. And so when I won it, it becomes such a shock to me as well that I was having now to contend with being well known, being in the public eye, everyone trying to see who I was. It was a weird position. So, you know, I felt a little bit lost with, again, who I was, even though I was doing so many things. It was amazing, really was and has been. And then actually... Personally, I don't think you ever get over a massive breakdown or period of your life that has shook you to your core. I think it's always there. And I've had to manage my mental health over the years. What are your um, daily or weekly practices of how you take care of your brain and your mental health? Well, obviously, keeping fit is something that's really important to me. I mean, it's been a little bit attacked lately. I had an operation in July on my uh, Achilles, my heel bone. So I was still doing my workouts, live workouts, doing lockdown one with a plaster on my leg. Um, so I didn't stop then. Then I had COVID very recently and only this past well, six six days or so have I actually been back to myself. That hit me really bad for two and a half weeks. So I talk about fitness and it's been the one thing I haven't been able to do. But um, other than that, on a daily basis, if anyone follows me on my Instagram, Dame Kelly Holmes, they'll see on my story, every single night I do what's called me time. And that's me going in my bath with a hot, hot bath, big bubbles, candles, and I play music. And I do not care what's going on in the world in the world and that is non-negotiable that is for me because I want to because I matter as much as anybody else out there and I do it and now people even giving me um, I've been doing it now for about two years and people give me the tunes that they want me to play Lily every night so <laughs>
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brain Care Podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And follow us at Your Heights on Instagram and Twitter for daily doses of brain care. Did you know Heights started as a newsletter that I've written every week for years? I'm still doing it, and I'd love it to reach your inbox too. So, for weekly science-backed emails on the best ways to take care of your most important organ all in under three minutes, sign up at yourheights.com forward slash Sundays. See you next week. Thank you.